Uh, this morning, as I, I sort of shared last week, uh, we would be going through um, a good portion of chapter 21, uh, specifically verse 5 and on, and it's dealing with end times, uh, eschatology and events. Um, it's not as, uh, it's sort of a condensed version of what you get in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And um, Jesus is just preparing his, his disciples for, for after his ascension, right? Um, how this breaks out here is that um, we're going to see, many have called this, or he, he goes to the, the mountain called Olivet, or the what's known as the Olivet Discourse. That's what this portion of, and section of scripture has become known as. Uh, as well as Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus uh, still is going to the temple to teach at this point. He's probably three to three and a half days from his crucifixion, okay? So just to orientate you where we're at on that uh, Passion Week, Holy Week that way. And um, he knows the time is very, very short. Very, very short, not a lot of time, and clearly um, has a whole lot in his heart that he wants to share. And obviously the disciples are starting to understand. Some of the apostles are starting to understand after he's declared his resurrection and he understands the sort of severity of, of the times and recognizing the times. And so they come to him and they, they said, what is going to be the signs of the end of this age? How, how is this all going to culminate and end? Now, if you read this for the first time and I don't presume how many times all of you have been through these passages of scriptures, but if you read Matthew 24, 25, or you read with us in, in Luke chapter 21, you know that there's primarily two audiences that are being um, brought into this conversation. First of all, at the time of this writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you were dealing with an audience that were primarily Jewish men and women, saved nonetheless, but Jews, okay? Um, and then you have another population that he's going to talk to, and, and that's for the days in which that generation that will be alive, I do believe it will be our generation, but that generation that's alive, that will be part of the rapture of the church, okay? And he speaks to both because um, it's, it's very interesting. If, if, if you look at Luke, he kind of goes back and forth between the two. He, and if you're not careful to recognize there's two audiences there, you could accidentally put it all into one basket and totally misunderstand the whole passage and all of that Jesus Christ is trying to communicate here. So let's just ready our hearts. Let's bow our heads here. I mean, this is going to affect and impact all of us in this room and not just this room, but all those people we know outside of this room. Let's ready our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you that you have so chosen to, um, not allow us to walk blind in these things. Lord, that the end of the times and the seasons and the things that would happen, Lord, you've clearly written about uh, powerfully in your scripture, that we would not be walking blind. We would not be uh, without the signs of the times. We would not walk uh, ignorantly, Lord, foolishly, but that we would understand our redemption is drawing nigh, Lord. As we look at these passages here this morning, I pray, speak to our hearts, Lord. If there's anyone that's, Lord, been going through the motions, not truly occupying, not truly being about your business, Lord, and let, let, us, let us be today, let today be that day, Lord, where we begin to understand, as you so beautifully tried to explain to our hearts, the importance of knowing the times, the seasons. 
Because, Lord, the decisions that we make here, as you've taught us, Lord, they have eternal consequences. And, of course, Lord, we do pray for salvation. We don't want anybody to go through the great tribulation, Lord. You don't want anybody to go through the great tribulation that way. You're a righteous judge. You're a good father. Jesus, please guide us this morning. Anoint your word. Settle our hearts. Let us hear what your spirit has to say. We pray, and Lord, we ask this with everything that we are. In your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. So if you'll, again, look at Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 5 with me. We've come this far. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which one stone shall not be left upon another, or that shall not be thrown down. To us today, we read this, and yeah, we might think it's significant, certainly prophetic, 27% of your Bible's prophetic, speaking to the future and what have you. This is around AD 32, yeah. And so, but to please understand from a Jewish mind, the temple was the center point of their belief, their faith, their religion. It all culminated around the temple. And to think that that not one stone would be standing upon another is more than any Jewish man or woman could understand or even bear. What do you mean? So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And the, the sign, please circle that in your Bible, will there be when these things are about to take place? What are they effectively asking him? What is the end of this age? What is the end of the age? What will be the end of this age? And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived. First thing he wants them to understand and for us to understand. Do not be deceived. There is coming a time, an end of the church age, a time where the church will no longer be present on this earth. Doesn't mean that the gospel still will not go forward. It will, according to Revelation chapter 7. But there is coming a time that all of this, wood, hay, and stubble, everything we put value in, it's all going to burn. And I know people don't want to, <laughs> pastors don't want to talk about that from pulpits anymore. You know, it's, it's not popular. But it's true. It's what the Bible says. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go out after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. Underline that in your Bible. For these things must come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues, primarily a Jewish audience, and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you and on occasion for a testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts. I love when the Lord says that. Settle these things in your hearts now. Not to penetrate beforehand on what you'll answer. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. 
and they will put some of you to death. And you'll be hated for all, by all, excuse me, for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. By your patience possesses your souls. If we just took this passage alone and we didn't look at the rest of Scripture, we might go, what, what is going on here? I don't understand a lick of what I just read. I understand there's going to be uh, some type of uh, fearful or terrifying time. But again, much of this, if not all of this, was prophesied. Do you remember a few weeks back when we went to the book of Daniel and we read Daniel chapter 9? I think it's important we go back there because... Most of us were focused just on the coming of Christ, the first coming. Remember, we talked about how Jesus Christ would come and how that had an expiration date, actually. It was to be 483 years, 173,880 days. And that began at the decree of Artaxerxes in 445 B.C., which lands you perfectly with a 360-calendar day at A.D. 32 the very time that Jesus Christ walked this earth physically. But he says more. The vision that Daniel received, it wasn't just the first coming of Messiah. He also talked about that second coming. He also talked about an abomination of desolation. He talked about the Antichrist and what that's going to look like. He, he talked about a 70th week, which represents seven years, and, and a covenant being broken. Would you please turn to Daniel 9 in your Bibles? <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9. You know, I was praying about what the Lord would have me share this morning biblically, spiritually, scripturally, because I want to teach all prophecy. I just, I want to take just the next five Sundays and go through because there's so much in Ezekiel and there's so much in Daniel chapter 2 about the different nations and what nation we see rising up next. And there's so much. But we have to get through the book of Luke, right? And then on to the book of John and continuing on through Scripture. But I, I encourage, just because we may not together here this morning, I encourage you to be Bereans and you read these passages you study the scriptures to show yourself approved. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. <clears throat> now, while I was speaking, you remember, remember this is when Daniel, we talked about this, but this is when Daniel was uh, overwhelmed. He was up in his upper room. He was praying. He was praying for the nation. He wanted to know, in some aspects, are they going to stay in captivity because the 70 years of captivity that was prophesied by Jeremiah was eclipsing. And it didn't look like there was any end to the captivity in sight. And so Daniel was seeking the Lord to find out, Lord, are you going to keep us in this captivity? Something changed or what's going to happen here? And so God's speaking through the angel directly to Daniel about that. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel... And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me. 
and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, therefore, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> my apologies. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And we read about that, right? Nehemiah chapter 2. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Very, very important here. But not for himself. It was not for himself. It was for who? You and I. The crucifixion. And the people of the prince who is to come. Speaking of who? No. Speaking of Satan and the Antichrist. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. That's a very, very important word because that's the very same word we're going to see in Luke 21. Desolations. So please underline that. Then he shall confirm a covenant. This is why many, some of you have been uh, churched much of your life. You've heard, well, I know there's going to be a, a, a week that way that represents seven years. And there's going to be a, a, some type of covenant with Israel that's going to be broken midway. But maybe you didn't know where that was in Scripture. Maybe you didn't understand that that's, this is this passage. This is where this has come from. That understanding that there will be a covenant established with Israel by the Antichrist. And he is going to break that covenant halfway through. This is the very passage it talks about. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, what's half of seven years, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. Wait a minute. We have a problem. How can there be sacrifice and offering right now after AD 70? What was destroyed? The temple. Why do so many people, it doesn't have anything to do with the rapture, but why do so many people from an eschatology or an end times perspective look for a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem? This is why. Because there must be a sacrifice that starts to take place again. And there is no place for that sacrifice to take place in Jerusalem today. Because the temple has been destroyed in that very area. What sits on that area? Dome of the Rock. So what's going to happen there? We know there's going to be some... Uh, changes that are going to occur. We don't know how that's going to happen, but it's going to unfold. He shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall one who makes desolate until the consumption or the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate until it is complete. So we read from this passage that there's going to be a desolation but again, there's more, right? Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 40. I promise you we'll get back to Luke. 
But how can we study these things without looking at these passages to understand why we believe what we believe? We read of a future time in Scripture, Ezekiel the prophet, called Son of Man, often in Scripture by God. In chapter 40, he speaks about this future time where a rebuilt temple will happen. The outer courts, the inner courts. Um, He goes on, even measures the dimensions of the sanctuary. And a rod is put out for measuring that. In the 25th year, chapter 40, verse 1, of our captivity at the beginning of that year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was captured, on the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. So something supernatural occurs. In the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. And on it toward the south was something like a structure of a city. Remember, Ezekiel doesn't know what this looks like because where is Ezekiel at this point? In captivity. He's by the river Chevar. He, he hasn't seen the rebuilt Jerusalem. He doesn't know anything about what this is going to look like. He's simply describing in the vision what he's seeing from the Lord. He says it's, it's a structure of a city. It looks built up. He took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, and he had a, a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway, and the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you, for you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel. Who's the primary audience? Israel. He doesn't say declare to the church. You know Why? Because the church isn't there. Not to say that the rebuilt temple can't happen while we're still here before the rapture. But the time at which this abomination and the sacrifice and all the desolations that is going to occur. We're not going to be here. He's talking to Jewish men and women. He's talking to Israel. He's declared to the house of Israel everything you see. Now there was a wall and around the city of, or around the outside of the temple and the, and the man's hand was a measuring rod, six cubits long, each being a cubit and a hand breadth. And he measured the width of the structure, one rod, the height of the rod. And then he goes through in verses six, six through uh, 16. He'll talk about the Eastern gateway and then he'll talk about the outer court, right? Then he'll talk about the Northern Gateway, he goes on to the south gateway. He's going through the sort of outer perimeter of the area and the gates. And then obviously the inner court in verse 28 he'll get to. And then he's going to talk about the chambers, that there's going to have worship. There'll be singers and there's going to be priests, verses 44. And then he's going to go through the, the inner vestibule and then sort of that, that area of the court of the vestibule, verse 47. He's going to go through that. And then we're going to get to ver- uh, chapter 41. And then he's going to go into the actual dimensions of the sanctuary and also the chamber walls and everything that on, is on each side. And then it will be complete. And then in chapter 42, we'll read in verse 18, there's a consecration of the altar. In other words, why would you consecrate an altar if you weren't going to perform sacrifice? So the sacrifices are going to be brought back into effect for the Jewish people. Okay, we can, we can talk about why. I, I imagine some of you, well, why? If Jesus Christ has come, why? Well, when we celebrate communion, what are we looking? Two different ways we're looking. He says, do this, this do, and what? Remembrance of me. So we're remembering. That's very, very important. We look back to what Christ has done for us on the cross. The fact that we've been forgiven, past, present, and future, our sins. But he also tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're to look where? 
to the future, to what? His coming. And, that, and, and what I mean by that, he says that we proclaim the coming, or we proclaim that by the very practice of communion. It's actually a sign. It's actually communication as well. Every time we have communion, you can look at 1 Corinthians 11. It's talking about a proclamation that's actually happened, and it's a testimony that's given. Fast forward, we're up for that 70th week. Remember, the, I told you there's two groups of people. There's the Jewish people and certainly the world of fallen nations and every Christ-rejecting nations on this earth. These things are happening simultaneously. While that seven years is occurring of the Great Tribulation, as we're, as we're going to be reading about in Luke, uh, Luke uh, from verse 20 on, when we look at the rebuilt temple, that seven years, we have been raptured up and we're attending a wedding feast of the Lamb. You're looking, Pastor, we're, okay, turn, hold your finger. Let's turn to Revelation 19. Go to Revelation 19, please. These things are occurring simultaneously, but to two different groups of people. The church, the bride of Christ, the church that way, have been raptured out. They're not here. We're looking down from the mezzanines, if I can say it that way. And we're at the wedding feast of the Lamb with Jesus Christ. And we will come back with him at that second coming. Okay? And we will, be on the, we will come back with him and minister for that thousand-year millennial reign. That's what's happening to the church simultaneously. We're going to continue to see that in Luke as well. But for the seven years that those are on earth that don't get raptured out because they reject Jesus Christ, they're going to be going through what we just read about. There will be a rebuilt temple, primarily talking to Israel. God is not done with his chosen people. And he's established a covenant covenant with them. If you read Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, it talks about a new covenant like he's established with us, a new covenant for the Jewish people that he's not going to forsake them either. And he's going to give them new hearts and the ability to follow. But in Revelation chapter 19, we've sort of been reading so far the Jewish context because that's who he's primarily talking to in Luke, right? The passages we've read so far. But what about you and I? Where are we? What's, what's happened? When, when did we Get raptured. Where are we in the chronology of Revelation? Well, it's very interesting, the words in the Greek. In Revelation chapter 4, meo tauto. You've heard me probably say that or share that with you if you've attended this fellowship at any time. In the Greek, it means after these things. And so chapter 2 and 3, if you've ever studied the book of Revelation, you know that's the age we're talking about now. It's the church age, and there's seven churches. And he's writing to us. In this very age. And he sort of describes these churches through the grid of scripture. And really there's only one church. The church of Philadelphia. Philo, right? Philo, love. Brotherly love. The church of Philadelphia. Is the only church that was faithful. The other churches he shows us. And again, he's not calling out, yes, there were actual churches. But it's, again, the grid of scripture. What we're going to see around us, even in this age. And we do, don't we? If you read that, the church that left Ephesians, Ephesus, the church that left their what? First love. We're seeing that today. Uh, the Laodiceans. Okay, you, you understand what I'm saying if you read that. But after these things, if I told you there, we already just read about the church age in Luke, right? Because Luke said, the age, what are gonna be, what's going to be the end of this age and the sign of the times? That's what Luke 
that's what the disciples asked, right? And, and God is going to answer that question. So God clearly acknowledges there is an end to the age. And what age are we in? We are in the church age. We can't mistake that. So if there's an end to the church age, there must be another age that's going to come after that. And if I started a sentence with you and said, after this, you would think I'm talking about after that object that I was just talking about or that subject that I was just talking about, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what he does. And chapters 4 through 19, or excuse me, 18, you don't see one mention of the church because all of that starts in Revelation chapter 6 when the judgments are poured out. We're not here. God is not grammatically challenged. There's no other way to explain why the church isn't mentioned one time in all of those chapters. And then all of a sudden in 19, when we come back with Christ, you read about the bride of Christ serving in the millennial reign. Chapter 19. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged her on the blood of his servants shed by her, Satan and the Antichrist. And they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all of you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of the mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has what? Come. And his wife, who is that? The bride of Christ? It's the church. Has been, has made herself ready. I love that passage. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. And for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now we know exactly who he's talking to, the hagios in the Greek. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell on my feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do, that you do not do that. I am a fellow servant and your brother and you have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Underline that in your Bible. Why do we talk about these things? It's the spirit of prophecy. And I want you to think about how many churches aren't teaching prophecy any longer. Or the book of Revelation. And yet we just read that for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges, he's talking about Jesus, right? And it makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were like many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a white robe dripped in, dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads on the winepress and the fierceness of the wrath of the almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together from the supper of the great God, that they may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of the horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all the people, free slave, both small and great. There's going to be a great war. And I saw the beasts of the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who works signs in his presence by which he deceived. There it is. Remember we read that word? Don't be deceived. Deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, no such thing as annihilationism. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from his mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with flesh. Now let's just skip ahead. I mean, we well, let's keep reading. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. There's the thousand year millennial reign. And he caught cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and unseal him and put a, and set a seal on him so that he could not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, they would be these for a while. And I saw the thrones that they sat on them. The judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or the image. They're men and women that will get saved during the great tribulation. But it's going to cost them their lives. It'll, they'll be martyred. And he received his mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead uh, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed, is the whole, blessed and holy is, is who has part in his first resurrection. Of such second death has no power. There is no second death that way. Because they're going to live forever. Because they're saved. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. But I think you, you saw that we read back in verse 14, and this is what I really want to draw your attention to. It says, and the armies in heaven, clothed with fine linen, followed him on white horses. Who are the armies? It's us. We're the armies that were raptured up into heaven that are now coming back with Christ. Right? So that's what's happening in the seven years, there are those that are on the earth that are going through a great, terrible tribulation, but there are those in heaven that have been raptured out prior to that great tribulation that are attending the marriage feast of the Lamb that we read about. Please turn back to Luke. So, reading verse 7 again, so they asked him, saying, Teacher, but what will these things be and what will be the sign they're asking what are the signs uh, that will be when these things are about to take place and again primarily speaking to a Jewish audience and he said take heed that you don't be deceived isn't that interesting the very thing we just read don't be deceived the very thing in Revelation when God repeats himself that way he wants uh, people to pay attention for many will come in my name and we've seen that throughout history saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. I think of, you know, Harold Campion, false prophets like that, that have literally tried to uh, flee sheep, you know, declaring Jesus is coming in 2019 on the September 1st. No man knows the time or the hour that way for the rapture. But he told us they would do that. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, 
And we're hearing a lot about that, huh? There's a lot of wars and different things going on. We know Ukraine, right? Russia, uh, the whole Middle East is a powder, you know, powder keg. Don't be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. It, it, it's not today, as an example. It could be, but <laughs> the Lord is... The Lord is telling us that, that these are labor pains, as we read in Matthew 24 and 25. These things needs be. You know, um, it's going to become more in, increasing and more intense, just like up to the point of birth. Then he said to them, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be a great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Right? Think about the trumpet and the sort of the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments that'll be starting to be poured out. Okay. But before now he goes back, verse twelve, it's important. But before these things. He's not saying after these things. He says, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up into synagogues and prisons during the Great Tribulation. Before it gets to the point of even the tremendous frequencies like that, people will be arrested. And be put in jail for their faith. Well, that's not new, is it already? Over 100,000 people every year around the world are martyred for the name of Jesus Christ. For the namesake of Jesus Christ. Many of them are put in prison. Um, just because we may not see it so um, matter of fact before our eyes doesn't mean it's not happening around the rest of the world. It is. And there will come a time when it comes to this country... I believe it's going to be sooner than most people think. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. You know, can you ever remember being alive, a time where praying for somebody else? I'm going to pray for you. How dare you say that to me? And then they bring you to HR and write you up, might even terminate you because you take the name of Jesus and you said you're going to pray for them. Now the popular thing to say is my thoughts are with you. I'll give you my thoughts. What, what, what? You don't want my thoughts. <laughs> you want my prayers. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for a testimony. He tells us exactly why God is allowing it. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you'll answer. He's telling them, don't, don't try to, you know... Figure this all out on what you're going to say and how, what you're going to do. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Because it will come through the Holy Spirit. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. That's hard. That's tough, isn't it? There will be parents, children, that literally will call the authorities on their family members and say, he's reading the Bible and... But didn't we already start to see that? Didn't we just see that with the, the whole COVID thing? And the, they, what they call it tracing or tracking? We really did. It wasn't enough that we quarantine or whatever word you want to use, isolate in your home. No, the government had to know where you were doing that. In New York, we have a lot of friends still in New York. In New York, I know for a fact that someone who came down with COVID, they actually, this is earlier on in, in, in the outbreak, they turned around and they literally sent the sheriff over to the house. And he came at a distance and says, if you leave this house in the next 14 days, we will have you arrested. And he came by two or three times driving about the house. And oh, by the way, do you know that the father and the son, 
He was a physician. A physician. And his son was in college and just had come home for a, a, the visit. You know, like, a, I can't remember if it was Thanksgiving or what would break like that. I mean, it, it's happening. The one world government, it's already being put in place. Look at your meat, how there's three main manufacturers in the whole world. Really, they say in the United States, I argue it's more than that. And that's why our supply chain's being affected right now, because it's easier when you consolidate and then you can take out that one manufacturer and all of a sudden you have a famine on your hands. Pestilence. We're finding these beetles that they're aggressive. They're killing the trees and everything around us. These Japanese, I can't remember their names. Lightning, I think they call them. Lantern flies, lantern bugs, whatever they are. You're supposed to step on them everywhere. You know? I I got a new job, part-time. You know, I step on these bugs. You know, I mean, we laugh. But I want us to understand how we're being conditioned. The technology and the idea of taking a mark Um, Because having a universal health record where it sounds good because you can get health and treatment anywhere you go and anything you do sounds wonderful. Electronic medical records. But now they have access. Do you know that during a time when we were going through this that Pennsylvania was considering buying mobile vehicles that could drive around and check vaccination status? Now, I don't know if that was ever uh, uh, paid for or budget, but they, but they had, I, I know on a very good source, someone I trust very, very, uh, very, very much. I trust them very, very much. They, they told me about this firsthand account and that there was a possibility that, that Pennsylvania could move in a direction to do something like that. Even had possibly maybe had some money set aside for hotels and different things like that where they could pull people away from their family and put them in hotels. I know some of you are hearing this right now and you're going, what? Oh, yes. Do you ever notice how you go into a doctor's office, a dentist's office, different offices like that professionally? And what do they do if they don't already have it on file? Would you mind standing over here? We need to take your picture. Do you know the technology for facial scan and recognition continues to improve? And certainly there'll come a time, because God is allowing this, because of the wickedness of man, that they're going to be able to recognize wherever you are. I mean, we can already do that. Uh, our, our CIA, our FBI, they can do that through pictures. You walk through, they can do facial recognition, hit a central repository and database and be able to pull you out and say, this is you. We know where you live. We know where you're going. This is no longer about technology. And this isn't just even about a communist state. No, no, no. There's a far greater agenda than even that. And people that come from communist countries, they they have been trying to warn so many Americans, do you not understand this is what happened in Venezuela? This is what happened in Cuba. This is what happened in all these other countries. Do you not understand this is what is happening here? Yes, we know that. But it's all being done under the guise of what? Health or prosperity or safety. But Jesus told us. Once you have that network in place, and I'm not saying those things are right or wrong. That's you be Bereans. I, have, I certainly have a strong opinion on that. But you be Bereans. But it's concerning me because I know these things needs be. And it's happening so fast. And we are already there. And the foundation is laid that nothing else needs to be done. So we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. 
But until that point, we need to continue to reach the lost, continue to strengthen the weak and the weary. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head will be lost, but your patience possesses your souls. Now, we're going to talk about the rebuilt temple in the three and a half period. We just read about the abomination of desolation. We just read about that in Daniel 9. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, he's talking into the Jewish people, then know that this is desolating, or the desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. That all things which are written must be fulfilled. What's he talking about? He's talking about the abomination and desolation. He's talking about the great tribulation. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. Who is the author of wrath? Revelation chapter 6. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Why? It's not Antichrist. It's not Satan. Because of a Christ-rejecting world. Because of the iniquities. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and led away captive into nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles in the time, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, there's a near and a far fulfillment to everything prophetically, right? The near fulfillment of that was in AD 70 when Titus came in and, and, and the Romans came in and they just destroyed, burned and flooded and just absolutely destroyed that city. They even burned it so hot that the gold would run out and flow out so they could collect all the gold. You know, if, I think it was Titus. He didn't want the temple destroyed because he knew what a landmark that was and how significant that was to the Jewish people. But what did Jesus already say? Remember how this all started? Then some still spoke to them about the temple and how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. And these things you see, the taste will come and one stone will not be left upon another. He told him, there's a near fulfillment, a far fulfillment. This is at least 40-something, you know, 38 or 40 years before this happened. I don't know about you. I can't open any other book and see what's going to happen 38 to 40 years, hundreds of years in the future. And yet my Bible proclaims and tells me what will be. I feel like then I'm ignorant if I don't believe it. Then I'm the fool. If it's laid out before me and I'm told about it, and then I choose to ignore that, I can't blame the Lord for that. No, that's just my ineptitude, my lack of understanding, my, my will be done. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times the Gentiles are filled. Again, a far, a far fulfillment, again, will be the abomination and desolation of that. Both uh, terrible slaughter of the Jewish people. The first one, it was terrible. Millions of Jews died in AD 70. Millions of Jewish men and women died, children, because of that invasion and wars that were going on. That was the near fulfillment. And the far fulfillment? Well, you read Revelation chapter 6, and you start going on, and you read just, just the seal judgments. Our population today is somewhere around 7.4 or whatever, 7.5 billion. A quarter of that population, just in the first few years, 1.8 billion people are going to die. We witnessed a million, maybe, whether it was COVID, a flu, colds, natural causes, just in the last year, right? We, we witnessed that sort of, when you look worldwide, a couple of minutes, and we shut everything down because of the, the amount of, of, of 
casualty or, or, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, death or proposed death. Many people, you know, for different, just natural causes, but was labeled COVID. What do you think it's going to be like when we have 1.8 billion people that pass off the scene? What about the infrastructure, the jobs, the, the things that have to make society function, the hospitals, the, 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 where do you bury that many people? Do you even bury them? Do you, is, it, is it clicking? Are we starting to see the magnitude of this? This great tribulation. Look at verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth. Distresses of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing for the fear and the expectation of those things which they're coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then... Right? Then you will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now, these things begin to happen. Look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. He says, now, he kind of goes back. He says, then, so he's, he's doing that thing again. He's going back and forth. Then you will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with powers of great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up for the heads because your redemption draws nigh, draws near. Then he spoke the parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are already budding. You see and know for yourselves that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things hap happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. And why is he explaining that? Because that's the very thing they asked. Teacher, but when will these things be? He's answered that the in the age, church age, when, when that's going to end. And he says, what will be the sign? So now he's, he's finishing the rest of their question. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, the generation that experiences this, by no means will pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Friends, that's a fact. Don't believe anything else. There is a cause and effect. Um, people that are alive during that great tribulation for seven years, they're going to desire to escape it. And unless they're, unless they're one of the 1.8 or the 2 point, whatever, 6, 3, something like that, a billion people, they're going to desire to die and not be able to. That's how awful and terrible the great tribulation is going to be. And now he moves on to the practical in verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. This is the practical. Okay, now that we understand this, you know that the great tribulation is coming. You know that the church is going to be raptured. We covered those texts. We can even read 2 Thessalonians. We can read 1 Thessalonians. We'll look at there in a moment. We know these things are going to happen. What do you do about it? Do you, well, it's all going to burn anyway, so you know what? I'm just going to go home and I'm going to watch reruns. Right? I'm going to binge watch a series that I just haven't been able to catch up on. No. He says, take heed to yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares for this life, so concerned about the things of this life. And the day come, the rapture, okay, on, the, on you unexpectedly. Why do we know he's talking about the rapture? Why? Well, 
I don't want to imply the obvious, but he can't be talking about his second physical coming to earth, touching down. Why is that? Because Daniel 9 told us that it would be how many years? Seven years. He told us that the abomination and the desolation would happen three and a half years. And we know that Christ is going to come and bring an end to that war, right? Supernaturally. Otherwise, all the people would have just completely perished. By the end of the seven years, sorry, let me back that track. Let me say it right. The seven years, Christ is going to come, not three and a half years. The seven years, Christ is going to come. Otherwise, no man would be alive if he didn't stop that judgment. There not, wouldn't be a single soul alive on the earth. But he's going to come back. And then we read in Revelation 19 what happens, right? He's going to take the Antichrist and the false witnesses. He's going to take them alive and throw them in the lake of fire. Remember that? We just read that in Revelation 19. And then he's going to bind Satan in that, in, in, in that pit for a thousand years. And you and I are going to reign because we're going to be back with him. Okay? So, we know the day that the Two different ways. We know that the day that the Great Tribulation begins, you might say, oh, I don't know when that is. Okay, the day that the abomination of desolation begins. The day that the Antichrist walks into that rebuilt temple and desecrates it by claiming that I am God, because that's what the desecration, if you look at the near and far fulfillment, that's what Antiochus Epiphanes did in, um, you know, the intertestamental period between 400 and, you know, right around 200, you know, B.C. Like That's what he did. He went in, I think it was 100 B.C., please, you know, Check your dates. But the point is he went in and he desecrated the temple with pig's blood and declared himself God and Lord. And, and that's exactly what the near fulfillment was. Why would we think the far fulfillment is going to be any different? He's going to go in and he's going to desecrate that same temple. And from that point forward, how many years, or you could even do it in days if you wanted, how many years is it until Christ comes back? Three and a half. Because it's in the mid week, three and a half years. So we know when Christ is physically coming to touch down again, it's three and a half years later. So it can't be talking about that when it comes unexpectedly. No, when you see him, we will not be here. But when the Jewish people see that he desecrates the temple, well, start your clock, look at your calendars, because 360 days multiplied by three and a half years, Christ is coming. We know that. This is talking about the rapture, and he's talking about you and I, the church. What do we do with this information? Now that we understand we're going to be with the Lord, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be fearing. We need to be about our God's business. What does it look like? He says, hey, don't be weighed down with the carousing, the drunkenness, the cares of this life. It's not about you. It's not about me. Our lives are not here to be lived however we choose to live them. What we choose to do with them. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always. He says, always. So what are you supposed to be? Two things always. Watching and what? Praying. Watching means you're intentional, you're deliberate, you understand that it can happen this very moment. And therefore, you're ready. Are you all ready? Is everybody in this building here this morning ready to go? And go to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Have you, have you settled the things you need to settle? Is there still work that needs to be done? Have you, have you witnessed to the prodigals? Have you given the gospel to friends that maybe, if you didn't get to see them again, you would think about, why didn't I share the word of God? Why wasn't I the light of the scripture? Or were, you, or were we, I'll put myself, can we become more consumed with our cares 
Are we more interested in sitting on the couch than serving our Lord? And, and look, if that's convicting to somebody in here this morning, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm trying to draw us to a proper exhortation that the Lord has given us in Scripture. I'm not saying you can't sit down and take a break, watch a football game. Have, that's not what Jesus is saying. But if that consumes your life, then we've missed it. We've missed it. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy. That's how the Lord describes it, that you're counted worthy to escape. Circle that in your Bible. Absolutely. I am an escapist. I believe in the rapture of the church. <laughs> All these things that they will come to pass. Look what he says. And I'm so grateful for this passage. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell in the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. Please underline that. That will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. All these things. Well, what about the seal judgment? All these things. Well, what about the point of where there's starvation and, and, and you know, uh, all these things. And it, it, it's it's... It's evil out there, isn't it? And we haven't seen anything yet. Pray. Watch. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed at the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him, to hear him teach. I'm going to invite the musicians forward. Before you close your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. Musicians can come forward. Paul, the apostle, writing to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5 verse 1, because we just read Luke, and so did the Thessalonians. They understood the gospel of Jesus Christ because it was taught to them, whether it was orally or written. The understanding that we now have, all of us in this room, every one of us understands that if you don't, don't walk out of here. I'll spend time with you as much time as needed. Don't walk out of here. I want you to know this. I want you to understand this, and I want you to be able to give this truth to everyone you meet. It's not a game. We're not playing church and we're not playing Christian here. First Thessalonians five chapter sorry, first Thessalonians chapter five, verse one. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why? Because the gospel was just given. Because the truth was just given, because of eschatology and the word of God given already by Jesus Christ Himself. You don't need me to retell you this, Thessalonians. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. What's that mean? Without any, without any knowing. Can't be talking about the second coming. What's he talking about? The rapture. It's the only thing that comes as a thief in the night. That way, right? For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Just exactly what we talked about earlier. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. We're going to escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. You, but you, are not in darkness here. 
so that the day should overtake you as a thief. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let those who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope and salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. What is the whole point of the tribulation? God's wrath. Point on a Christ-rejecting world. Do you see that? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we should live together or with him, therefore comfort. I hope all of you walk out of here just wonderfully comforted this morning. Comfort one another, just as you also are doing. And if you look at chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, since it's next page over, I know we're at our time. Again, Paul exhorts the church at Thessalonica. Now, brethren, concerning chapter 2, verse 1, now, brother, concerning the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. You didn't miss it. You would know. Let no one deceive you by any means. There it is again. Don't be deceived. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. It's not till the Antichrist is here. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's why we believe the desecration at the three and a half years is going to be him declaring himself as God. It says it right here. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know that is what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who's he? Until the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is removed. There'll come a point when the church age ends and the Spirit of God is removed, and that's when it's all going to get poured out. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So he could be here already, but he's just not revealed. We just don't know who he is, but he could be here. He could be alive. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the works of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. That's why so many are going to believe in him and follow him. Because he's going to be a smooth talker, smooth operator, and he's going to be able to do supernatural things. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive, what? Underline this in your Bibles, the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. He'll give them exactly what they want, that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure and unrighteousness. That's not you. That's not me. And if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? He wants to save you. He has gone at a great extent to give you the word of God so you know every single detail that's going to transpire before you in hopes that you will place your faith and love in a trusting God that's going to redeem you and take you from the wrath because of his shed blood because of his love for you not because we could do anything about it now that's a god i'll serve forever will you stand with me please
And I do hope that was an encouragement to all of you here this morning as the Lord has prepared it for us to have it be an encouragement. And I do pray honestly and sincerely in my heart that it is a wake-up call for some people here this morning. Those that aren't walking in the Lord, those that have prioritized all the other things as the main things, instead of following Jesus Christ, as God has desired you, has saved you, you are blood-bought, and he's madly in love with you. Give him all your heart. Father, we thank you. We believe. And Lord, we desire to give you all of our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here that needs that help, Lord, many of us, we pray, help us in our unbelief. Lord, if there's someone here that's just, um, Lord, struggling with um, intention and follow through, Lord, you are a good God. Help us with follow through and intention. But Lord, may we see and understand as you gave wisdom to the disciples and, and knowledge you poured out liberally, Lord. And you said in James, you would pour out your wisdom liberally. Lord, we know we're living in these last days. Lord, let us finish strong that when you come and we're captured and raptured up that way, Lord, that we look at you and there's no regrets. No regrets. Let us be a people that follows our Lord and a Lord that guides his people. We thank you and pray this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ.